Welcome to the Bungo Pony Podcast with Brian Watson and Jim Griffin. Hello, Jim. It's been a while. It's been a while, Brian, but it's good to be back. It is. It's good to be back, baby. Um, we're under the pump time-wise because um, our usual uh, provider let us down technology-wise. <laughs> So we've yeah, switched. we're not having we're not having a lot of luck technology wise some some of these days. But sure, look, we'll muddle through, Brian, as we always do. Switch to Zoom, and I must admit, it sounds tremendous. So thank you, Mister Zoom. Yeah, thank you. So this is our first time using Zoom. We usually use Messenger, but um, we yeah, do. This is okay. Yeah, it's okay. A, we can do this. I'm a poor pensioner. I can't pay for Zoom, so we we we're constrained for time. So um. <laughs> Very quickly, the reason, I mean, it's been a while. You've been really, really busy getting the vinyl edition of The Signal sorted out. That's all done now and in the shirts. That's isn't it? all taken care of. So, um, yeah, that took up a little bit of time, but um, it's all done, thankfully. So, nice, nice to have that done. Look forward to hearing it, and I will be playing it on Not the American Prog Show on Progzilla Radio. It's winging, it's winging its way over to you, Brian. It's in the postal system, so it's safe as houses. <laughs> whoop de do, whoop de do. Well, we are out of the EU now, so it's, it'll probably go via Bratislava or something for final. Probably, a, a, it'll wind up in Rwanda or something. Yeah. <laughs> tell oh, the nice oh, ladies, oh. And, tell the nice ladies and gentlemen what we're doing uh, for this edition of the Bunga Pony Podcast. Well, this was your idea, and and I fired it through, and I thought that's a great idea. We're looking at all the various singles that BOC have released and in, in various formats. I'd say we've probably missed a few. They, they did very odd things with their singles, but um, it's a great idea because it really did a little, nice little snapshot of how they were chasing the dragon there uh, on the success side of the house for a while. But um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. See, kind of, it, it gives you a view of what their record companies were thinking about as opposed to maybe what the band were thinking about. I was going to say, of all, the, of all the playlists we've done, this is my least favourite because it's not... <laughs> Um, uh-huh. a, a result of our carefully curating songs that speak to us or that are thematically linked. It, These it, songs it were your, chosen. It lacks your, yeah, it lacks your finesse, Brian. It, and, <laughs> and you know what? La, la, last night I was listening to it again. Uh, it's an interesting playlist, but I would agree with you. It's maybe not the best BOC playlist, but um, I listened to it on Shuffle. Uh, to try and mix them up, and it was an intensely irritating experience. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've put them in strict chronological order for that exact yeah. same reason. I've listened yeah, to it right. two, or, two or three times, and this is the only way I can sort of bear it. Yeah, I had to. I had to take it off shuffle. It was really annoying me because you'd, you'd get to the end of Flaming Telepaths, and then on would come going through the motions or something, and it, it didn't do them any favors at all. It was an interesting one. No, we've taken we've taken the list from uh, Wikipedia. So if we're wrong, mm-hmm. um, don't um, don't shout at us. Shout at Mister Pedia. <laughs> shout at Jimmy. Shout at Jimmy. Jimmy Pedia. <laughs> so like, right, uh, you had a really yeah. good idea of grouping them by album, but um, that's not going to save mm. as much time for the first three um, singles, <laughs> is it? Really? <laughs> no, they only had the one off of the first album. And for my money, Brian, I don't know how you feel now. I and again, this is what I think it's an interesting concept because it shows you what Columbia were thinking and it shows you where they were wrong and they've always been wrong. Record companies have always handled BOC incorrectly in my view. They got signed. The story goes, Brian, I think you told me the story first. They got signed because Clive Davis, the legendary Clive Davis, loved the song Then Came the Last Days of May. That's why they were signed and as good a reason to sign a band as ever, correct? I agree wholeheartedly, yes. 
So that's the story. Clyde Davis heard then came last day's May. Said that's a classic. Sign that band to sign him. And what do we, do they do? They release Cities on Flame as the single. Cities is a great song, but we all know it's it's the agenda of making them the American Black Sabbath, and um, it delays their breakthrough by by four or five years. Yeah, I, I do like. Interestingly, the the playlist is bookended. Um, Cities on Flame is Albert Book and Sandy, um, mm. and we're back to Albert and Sandy. Uh, at the end, um, so um, yeah. Yeah. If, if there's any one constant, and we're hoping to speak to him on the pod soon as well. Uh, it's, yeah, it, working it's, on it. It's, it's, it's Albert who uh, who's truly carried the uh, the flame of Sandy throughout the uh, the intersuing decades. But yeah, um, yeah, and all credit to him. And you know what? There, there is a positive in this playlist is that it shows the depth of of what we've always said. The writing, you know, it's not just that you know. The lads where Joe was writing album tracks and, and, and Don Roser was writing the singles. You know, these singles and the first few are all Bouchard Brothers singles. Then you get into the Don Roser hits. Then you're getting into mixed, mixed writing again. So it does show that. But I think it really highlights that the wrong singles were released at the wrong time for this band, you know. I know I know, Cities on Flame and the next one, Hot Rails, um, is uh, <laughs> or are sort of fan favourites. But they're very much the sort of heads down banging it out yeah we want yeah. to be the american version of black sabbath kind of uh, that's thing, it man which yeah they, which i mean they never were which no they, they were, were so much more than that and that's why all boc fans are secretly frustrated for the last 50 60 years because boc were so much more than that and and if you'd had the balls back in the 70s when let's face it i mean emerson lake and par and palmer were releasing crazy shit on singles like you could have been bold and released even god forbid an edited version of seven screaming disbusters as a single or you could release teen archers weird but singly type song but somehow they went for the safer options and it just yeah, and you can see why BOC then didn't break through. They just weren't, the albums were interesting, but the singles were, yeah, well, that's what we'd expect from any rock band in 1972, 73. I mean, I mean, no disrespect to Black Sabbath, but they were very much one-dimensional. Track one, yes. Aussie sang. Track two, Aussie sang. Track three, Aussie sang. <laughs> um, and Blue Eyes to Cult, you've got Joe singing, you've got Albert singing, you've got Book, you've got Eric. Oh, yeah. you've got the songwriting yeah. talents of all five of them. So yeah. much more, so much multifaceted yeah but also i mean if if you're if you're a record exec in the 70s and you really do just want the hit singles how do you not realize that it's book dharma's voice it's not till reaper that they release a book dharma sung tune (laughs) and you've got last days of may you've got teen archer you've got all these songs that were a little bit quirky exactly in the boc wheelhouse Sung by Don Roser, that could be just instant hits. And yeah, I don't know. I love Hot Rays. Hot Rays is my favorite BOC tunes, but it, it's not the right single from Tyranny and Mutation. Not in my book, anyway. No, they, they pull sorry, it together. Sorry, Joe. Hello. <laughs> love you, Joe. Oh, well done. Hello, everyone. Yay. This is Joe Bouchard. Hello, Joe. And you're listening to the Bungo Pony Podcast. Yes. Yes, Thanks. you are. Thanks, Thanks Joe. You, Joe. Love you. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Love you. Great songs, but I don't think this was the right single. <laughs> they pulled it together for single three, though, I think. Career yeah. We like that one. Yeah. Got to give him this one. This is the right choice. And finally, we get a song with some really dirty lyrics, you know, some real hardcore BOC 
weirdness, um, you know, uh, sung by the right person, released. Buck doesn't sing any tunes in Secret Treaties, so they weren't going to get a Buck single off Secret Treaties. But um, yeah, this, this I feel is suddenly Columbia start to understand what they've got in their hands. Three albums in. The Patti Smith touch as well. Yeah, nice touch. Gotta 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 give uh, gotta give Patty props on that one. Really Love the lyrics. Not as good as single four though, which is the finest one they ever released. I M H O. Yeah, and you know what? I wasn't. I was surprised. When, in fair, you did that heavy lifting again, Brian, and put the list together. And I, I don't think I was ever aware that Flaming Telepath song we're talking about um, was actually ever a single, but it was. You're right. It didn't um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, no, uh, no, no. Yeah, I mean, nothing charts until Reaper, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, the things were things were easier in the seventies, I guess. But um, yeah, I I wasn't aware uh, Flaming Telepass was a single, but um, that's it. You can see, but look, you've got Secret Treaties, eight tracks of pure gold. You can't pick the wrong song. Any of those songs could be a fantastic single. Harvest to revise, Astronomy, uh, ME two sixty two. You can't miss. Well, they did miss because none of them charted, but you shouldn't have been able to miss on this one. We'll get back to astronomy in about 37 minutes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it finally gets released as a single. Next yeah. up, next up is a steaming pile of dog poo. Yeah, yeah. Born yeah. to be wild. What were they thinking of? <laughs> and like you've done them a favor here because you you've got the um on the playlist you've got the the live version but i, I think the single was that studio version wasn't it that you can you can find it on workshop of telescopes if you really want to i think uh, so yeah i think wikipedia's yeah, got it scare. down as as on your feet as a single from on your feet but um, yeah i think possibly they might have done it as as a live single as well um but um yeah, a bit dodge, a bit Which dodge that one. Got five of, five of the finest songwriters ever to grace a songwriting room. <laughs> Why yeah. use anybody else's songs? I, I, yeah, really dis- I really despair. That and songs, the, the lick my love pump type of songs, really boil my yeah. piss. Yeah, but you can see the influence of a record company that just wants Blue Oyster Cult to be Steppenwolf or to be, you know, uh, uh, one of these bands. They know how to market those bands. I mean, in fair, you've got, I mean, I, I sympathize with them. How do you market Blue Oyster Cult? Um, it's it's a difficult proposition. And they, they really, they, they never got to grips with it. It was only that Donald Roser happened to write an incredible song in 1976 that they had any success in the singles charts, you know? Oh, I agree. I love that film, The Steppenwolf Wives, though. That was really good. <laughs> I'm not going to correct you there. I think it, it, what's going on in your head is much better than reality. Oh, so was, I'm going to leave. It was great. <laughs> Ladies would do what you asked them, and it was amazing. Ah, uh, the seventies. <laughs> so, that's that's the, the 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 difference between actual Boyster cult fans who appreciate that the Steppenwolf Wives is a, a clever acerbic satire on uh, the patriarchy and misogyny. And then there's mm. the the people who watch Dukes of Hazard who think, well, no, that would be actually a really good thing. And I think the single release schedule and and, and tracks was pitched at the latter. Um, yeah. The good old boy rock and roll. Whereas yeah. actually, Blue Oyster Cult fans were quite thoughtful and cerebral and um, and intellectual and and whatnot. I totally agree. And I mean, even the blue, the, even the BOC version of. 
you know, the straight ahead rock song is still a great song, like Cities or Hot Rails or whatever. But yeah, they just didn't. I don't feel they they succeeded in a single establishes a band in the market, certainly in the 70s and 80s. And they just didn't do that for BOC. You know. Yes, I mean, if you if your song has euphemisms for genitals and, and uh, which we'll get to in a little bit, or or mm. doesn't or doesn't have a G, <laughs> it, it is it, it falls <laughs> it falls into the lick my love pump category that um, that I will lift the yeah. needle on. Yeah, yeah, and that look that's what was selling at the time. So I, I do have a certain sympathy, but I I do think it's a really interesting playlist because you just look at it and go, so many opportunities were missed, so many brave chances were were squandered, and that's not BOC's fault. That's that's the that's not their management's fault. I don't think. I think it's probably the the, the record label all the way on those. Definitely executives. Definitely sort of um, yeah people who wore suits. Um, men in suits. Men in suits. Because after a, after a piece of horse shit like uh, Born to Be Wild, then yeah. you get then came the last days of May. I mean, just go figure. I know, and then they released the live version of Then Came the Last Days of May, which is a great version. But which it's it's only re- they should have to be yeah. fair. Yeah. But that should be the only single. It should be the main effort going into producing that. But I mean, the second single off a live album, I mean, that's a reach for any band. Uh, <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult in, in 70, 75. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, Last Days of May should have been the single right from the off in 72. Um, and it's just a little too, too little too late for me on that one. I know what you say, but it's, it's a prime example of one of these rare songs that is better um, on the live album than on the studio album, and 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 then came the last days of May. It's very much up there. It's it's up there with seconds out from from Genesis and mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. everything off Strangers in the Night by UFO. All better yep. than the studio yep. versions. Everything on Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy far mm-hmm. better than the studio yep. album version. So it's up there with uh, those rare tracks that were better live. Um, Veteran of the Psychic yep. Wars is better live on ETL yeah. than yeah. it was on um, the studio uh, album. It's the mark of a great band that they can do that, you know, that they can go not just recreating the album, which is a bit of a bugbear of mine. I'm, I'm never that interested in bands that to just recreate the album, but they go beyond it and they change it. And that is, I would agree with you there, but just from a singles point of view, is it the best single at that time? Is it the right way to go? I don't know, oh, but I yeah, guess but they have to release something. Yeah, bands who pride themselves on note perfect um, versions mm. live. Big, big train. I'm looking at you. That I mean, they are wonderful, and it is, it is like yeah, listening but, to the album. But um, yeah, but it's like listening to the album. It's like listening to the album. Yeah, I, want yeah, I, I would of, agree with you there. However, I, I don't miss drum solos from live albums because <laughs> they really used to. Grind my gears. <laughs> Except the Neil Peart. Neil Peart's were always good, but so. Well, in fairness to Parrish, I mean, he he, he Rush. I mean, God, I love Rush, right? But they were a bit guilty of doing the note perfect rendition of the album, and and their live albums are not as interesting for that reason. Except for Neil's big drum solos, but um, I think that's why we love the drum solos on Rush live albums. They're the only bit that are different to the album, you know? Saying, saying that, I think Bastille Day uh, of all, the world, all the World's, all the world's, all the world's Stage. stage. Yeah, I should have known yeah. that because I, I, I played the grooves off it. Um, <laughs> Bastille Day off, off that is is so yeah. much 
more preferable to my area. Ah, uh, yeah, Aerial yeah. Airport. I think all the world's a stage. Yeah, was was less guilty of that. And and um, actually, Villa Villa Strangiato on on exit stage left was was pretty mega as well. But they're, it's not there. Look, they're not like you say. They're not bad albums. It's not that. It's just a, it's a different vibe to going above and beyond what was on the album. And I think BOC were were capable of doing that more. It's it suddenly everybody t- when talking about drummers, they all go about oh Neil Peart and Mike Portnoy and all this. Um, Albert mm. Bouchard is 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 widely uh, widely regarded the, as one of the most underrated drums in the world. I just listening back to this more. playlist, just listening to his, yeah. his sense of timing and his swing and his vibe. It was just beautiful. Uh, yeah, he swings a less technical drummer than the, your Portnoy's or your Neil Parts or whatever. But he swings. He's in the pocket. He's got that jazz sensibility, that fifties sensibility that he brings to drumming. He's very unique. I would class him as one of the most unique uh, 70s kind of drummers from that era. Um, and he's the secret. His drumming is one of the great secret sauces of, of BOC. Listen, uh, a little known track called um, Don't Fear the Reaper now. I, I, yeah, I wasn't heard, familiar with this one, much, Brian. But, yeah, um, yeah, I must have a listen to it sometime. Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite pleasant. I, I, it sort of uh, it was it was quite popular as well. I think it uh, it charted everywhere, America and Britain and Canada and Ireland. Yeah, yeah. it was. Well, but I think it charted in America in '76 when it got released off Agents, and then I don't. I have a feeling it didn't chart in over this side of the pond until it kind of got re-released around some enchanted evening days. I have a feeling that may have happened. But it, look. I mean, the great abomination that we should be talking about is the cut down version that they released um, on on single, where they they cut out the middle the middle section. Um, so you still get compilation albums, and you say, "Oh, great, BOC made it on with Reaper," and then they've used that cut down single version. It's 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 a travesty. It's a travesty, Brian. I, I was, but I ran out of time. I was going to compile a list of all the times Reaper had appeared on film and television, but it was just too big a job. And I just, I was watching yeah. Superstore, which is one of my favourite comedies, even uh, even mm. comedy about a big Walmart type shop. And mm. Don't Fear the Reaper was on it, and I thought, WTF? Why? <laughs> I know, I know. It is omnipresent now. It really is. And uh, uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, look. I, and you know what? It's the first time, in my view, if you look at Agents of Fortune, you imagine BOC delivering Agents of Fortune into Colombia. And it, in fairness, I don't think Don't Fear the Reaper is the most obvious single off that album. It's long. It's very different to what BOC are. I think your most obvious single singles are the ones that come later. Sinful Love, This Ain't the Summer of Love. In fairness, somebody somewhere goes, that's an iconic song you know i think the releasing of reaper on single represents the first time that a record company actually takes a chance on a boc single and we look back on it going oh that was the safe option no that's hindsight nobody knows what's going to happen when you release that single so i think there was bravery involved here it was also recorded by shelly yakis was the recording engineer in that album. it's the most beautifully recorded uh Blue Oyster Cult song, in my view. So yeah. I think I think bit of credit there. I don't think that was the obvious single, actually, um, and it's just a superb choice. Plus, it made them rich beyond dreams of avarice and uh, embedded them in the cultural zeitgeist. 
Forever. Absolutely. And no doubt it enshrined a certain level of, of animosity between the members <laughs> in terms of who writes the hits and who doesn't. So I'm sure the seeds of their destruction were sown in their greatest success. I've got a, I've got a cowbell clip somewhere, but um, I'm not going to do that because that's... Yeah, we can, just, we can just ask people to imagine it and they can... That's they too can... obvious. I do have it and I could press a few buttons and play it for you. But um, yeah. we've been. We could uh, just make a cowbell. We could just make a cowbell sound, you know. <laughs> well, it's worst got... cowbell, worst cowbell <laughs> sounds ever. Cowbell ever. ever. <laughs> uh, we're twenty minutes in. Let's do a jingle. You're listening to the Blue Oyster Cult Fan Pod, the Bungo Pony Podcast. That's what gets us copyright struck on YouTube, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cut it off, cut it off. Yeah. No, <laughs> you go over six seconds, you're dead. <laughs> you can't. You mentioned Sinful Love. That was the next single, wasn't it? Mm, I think so, oddly enough. Yeah, good, good Albert tune. And look, there is, in fairness, I mean, there was a certain equality, I think, amongst the band in terms of trying to get the singles across the writing um, credits. But I, I always think it's it's the great... It's the great shame of 1976, or the great pity, rather, is they couldn't really follow Reaper with another hit single. I think BOC would have been stratospheric if there'd been a, a second big hit single straight after Reaper. And and really, it should have been ETI. I think that would have been a hit. Who knows? But... I think they were constrained. I don't think they would allow themselves to release two Buck Dharma songs as singles in a row. And I think possibly, again, one of their greatest strengths, their multiplicity of writers and singers, possibly played against them. What they needed was... A, this is when they needed the hardcore commercial decision. What's the single after the big hit single? And I'm not sure the Sinful Love was the right choice there. No, definitely not. It should have been Godzilla, but obviously it's an album later. Yeah, and, yeah um... it was an album too late. Possibly, you know, go back. Some bands used to do this in the 70s, you know, go back into the studio, cut a new track, um, you know, or, you know, Jets for Tall were great at doing that, or go back into the back catalogue and that's the time to release uh, something from, you know, previous. But um, yeah, I don't think Sinful Love solidified them the way that, that they deserved. It didn't. And then another Albert single, um, This Ain't the Summer of Love, um, neither, mm. neither did that. No, and again, the timing's wrong. You know, any band's going to struggle. I mean, you're, unless you're Queen and then the works are, are, you know, you're going to struggle to get three singles off an album. And it was the second single was the critical one, and I think they fluffed it. I think they they, they missed the mark. Next up was a song that I think was on our Clunkers playlist, wasn't it? It was, which oddly enough is is a favourite playlist of mine. That's the playlist I listen to most of ours. Is the Clunkers? I've come to I've come to love them. Yes, Eric uh, channeling his uh, inner thoughts on the recording process there with uh, his friend Ian Hunter without an H. Ian Hunter. Yeah, going through the motions. And you know what? I was it did come on after Flaming Telepaths on Shuffle last night for me. I still really enjoy the guitar solo in this song. It comes in, it's it's really nicely structured. Um, but it's it's it's, a lot it's hard better. to swallow. It's a lot better than I remember it, truth be told. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair comment. I think you know, it's one of those songs you 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 kind of you're aghast when you're younger and you hear it. I mean, they were going for a single. But you can really see it. They start chasing the singles. They start chasing the hits here. And it, 
it doesn't look well in hindsight. Godzilla was next, and and as I say, if that had come after Reaper, I think there would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There arena, was, I remember arena it. filling. Yeah, and I mean, and they were arena filling in the states anyway. But I think they'd have gone a bit more global, and they'd have had a bit more. Uh, they'd have had better choices later in their career um, available to them. Uh, there was a single version released over here, which at that time, which had Godzilla on one side and Reaper on the other. And, and obviously that was doing what, what they wished they could have done in, in 76. Um, again, an obvious single, nice single to release, uh, quirky. But look, and again, it's the one that has a bit of success, Godzilla. And at this point, really, the message is, it's it's Bukdarma's vocals that are going to sell the singles. And really, at some point, the band should have sat down, I think, and, and accepted that rather than continually releasing other singers' singles in between out of, I would guess, a sense of fairness, you know? They did try it with the next one, another book, one I Love the Night, but that um, obviously bombed yeah. as well. Yeah, but you look again, you're three singles deep into an album, you know, and again, the mistake is made, but it's going through the motions that's that's first. And these are errors. These are st strategic planning errors from a, a record exec point of view. But look, who knows? You're going back into the mists of time. What were the decisions driving these singles? I, I think it's really interesting to, to kind of speculate on on really how badly served some by BOC were by some some of these decisions typified by the next one um a cover again <laughs> an animals cover and i know why they did it i know why they did it because they recorded some enchanted evening in newcastle and they thought uh, it would sell uh, to yeah. fans of the animals in, in particular uh, people in yeah. britain and europe and it didn't i know when you think that you know you've got some enchanted evening in the can you can release finally undo some of the Sins of the Past and release Astronomy. Uh, it's going back to your point. Here's the, the, the quintessential live version of Astronomy captured in fan, you know, perfect condition. Uh, and so your release, we got to get out of this place as the single. So I'm with you on this one, Brian. I just, the mind boggles. Cynical. It is cynical and, and driven by money, not the muse. But then they've got to put yeah. food on the table, I suppose, haven't they? But, um, I know, but it didn't work. I mean, that's the worst thing. I mean, I'd forgive anything if, you know, if financially it, it worked. Then you go, well, okay, look, at least on some level, the decision is justified. But I don't remember we got to get out of this place being a big hit single in, in 78, do you? <laughs> Absolutely not. But at least the next one charted, um, one of Alan's mm -hmm. in the lovely song, which we've had on a, a playlist or two in the past. Yeah. Yeah, great, great song. I mean, uh, you know, it's as good as you're going to get off of Mirrors. <laughs> you know, uh, is it a little wimpy? Maybe so is everything on Mirrors. Great song. Lovely to see Alan Lanier get a single out. I'd say that was something they all wanted to do. Um, yeah, what did it chart, Brian? Where did it get to? America on the uh, on the main US chart, according to Wikipedia, um, it was seventy four. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, in those days, you're you're still shifting units to get to seventy four in in the Billboard one hundred in the states. Oh, that's um, that's made that's made a few quid. That's made a few quid yeah. for them as that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. I mean, isn't I actually think Mirrors is an interesting album to contemplate. You know, they've had success. You know, there's an album coming in that's a bit different. They've clearly gone for a different sound to possibly be a little more commercial. 
So you have these big questions. It, I think Mirrors must have been a very difficult one to release singles off of because, you know, any way you do it, you're going for success, but you're alienating the fan base. I mean, it's a big jump, Brian, to go from a very hot and heavy live single we got to get out of this place to releasing in the you know there's a certain schizophrenic nature starting to creep into their their singles releases again it shows the risk averse nature of of studio execs that Mm. after the the example of bohemian rhapsody yeah they should have released they should have released sun jester off mirrors i couldn't agree more taken a punt punt and got that out but what did they do instead they did the title track? Yes, book wrote it, oh. but it's the weakest, the weakest track on yeah. the album, I think. I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, Indies a nice lead-off single. Then you do Sun Jester, push it, and you might have a big hit in your hands. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, and you're dead right. Remember, the seventies, especially this kind of mid seventies, is the time where bands are being adventurous. Longer signals are sing- singles are getting released. Prog rock is at its zenith, so people aren't afraid of a longer or, or a multi-complex song. They're certainly not afraid of fantasy lyrics. You've, you're sitting on great sun gesture, so you release pretty girls in a frame. Ah, yeah. Bad I've, choice. I've had a pop-up saying our meeting's going to end in ten minutes, so we're going to have to we're going to have to get a wiggle on. <laughs> okay, wiggle, wiggle on, right? And then you're not the one I was looking for, and on mirrors, I mean. Yeah, I mean, if yeah, that's a desperation all day long, you know, trying to get a hit like the cars. Mm. Yeah, I know. Mm. Back to Joe and Helen Wales for Fallen Angel for the next one. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd give a bit of credit to releasing Fallen Angel as, as a single. I think that's okay. Um, I'd prefer to see a brave release of Black Blade, which I think charted in some capacity, but I don't think it was a formal single. Um you know, again, the order of the singles, Brian. I like Fallen Angel as a single. I don't like it as the lead-off single from the album. It's not the track you, you associate with, with Cultosaurus, you know? Now, now I never realised they released uh, Marshall Plan, one of my favourite songs uh, of all mm-hmm. time, uh, as a single. Uh, suffice to say, it didn't chart, but uh, I'm glad that they did. Yeah, there's certain bravery around Cultosaurus. Uh, you know, you're into the 80s now, so suddenly there's more, you know, metal's getting kind of... You've got the Iron Maiden thing kicking off. The new wave is kicking off. So these are these are songs that fit. That of course, are produced by Martin Birch. So these are songs that fit that aesthetic. But again, it's trying to fit into the zeitgeist, as you said earlier, rather than what what sells BOC best. And um, you know, I think they they suffered from that all the way through their career of execs trying to pigeonhole them rather than do the best for the band. I'm su- I'm surprised Deadline didn't chart because that's um, a, a a radio friendly song if ever I heard it. Yeah, I mean this again. This annoys me. I mean, if you're going to release Deadline as a single, do it first, you know. And and if you believe in Don Roser's voice and you believe in that song, release that first. You can't release a third off the album. That makes no sense to me. Um, anyway, it's Black Blade, first track in the album. It's an absolute cracker. Even if you have to edit the feckin' thing. Get it out there. You know, that's the single if you're a BOC man, you know, or woman. But nah, they don't do it. Defo, they got back in the charts for the next one. 40 in the main American charts. Yeah, yeah, number yeah. One, number one on yeah. the US main rock chart. Yeah, that's a big achievement in 81. Sure, you know, in the that. UK. 
76 yeah. in the UK, 47 in Canada. Didn't chart in Ireland, yeah. Jim. Although Reaper got Reaper charted at 17 we, in Ireland. Yeah, we bought up Reaper, but uh, we were <laughs> we were getting we were getting a bit uh, we were getting a bit cheesy now with, with "Burn for You." I liked "Burn for You." I've always liked that song, but I think it's really interesting. And we talked about this story before, where he uh, book was releasing flat out, and "Burning for You" was written and slated for flat out. That's where it was supposed to land, and uh, it was Sandy Parman who who got on bended knee and begged Buck, that's the single, put it on Fire of Unknown Origin. So they're still, you know, that shows you in 81, they're still chasing the hit single for Blue Oyster Cult. Right? And I'm not criticizing them for it, but it shows you where their head is at. They're looking for hit singles rather than, you know, big albums. And that's why Burning For You, and it, I mean, Sandy Perman was right, it was a good hit single for them, but it shows you the way they're thinking. They're thinking about hit singles. Then it all starts to unravel after the uh, implosion, the uh, Donington implosion, I think. What did they do? They re- released another flipping, I'm not going to lose our <laughs> family-friendly rating, another no, flipping no. cover, Roadhouse Blues. Yeah. Madness, yeah. absolute and, madness. And, and a cover I'm not fond of. I, I don't like, I, I don't think it suits Eric's voice. I know it's got Robbie Krieger on it, so that's probably the thinking there that some of the Doors fans will buy it. It's a bit cheesy. It's certainly my least favourite track off ETL. You know, they, they have a tendency to release our least favourite tracks on live albums as, sing, as well, singles, you know. If, if it was a person, I would probably trip it up and spit on its back. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Don't get on the wrong side, of Brian. <laughs> no, no, I just, I just, yeah. I, I, I was Joan Crawford. Was Joan Crawford not a sing a single? Because I remember no. really not dodgy according to Wikipedia. Video. Anyway, I'm sure yeah. people write in. I I remember a really dodgy video, and we haven't talked about their really dodgy eighty videos yet, eighties videos yet, and man, they were dodge. But I remember oh, really I tell a lie. dodgy Sorry, video. The, the, there's a bit on the bottom. Other charted songs. It says Black yeah. Blade, yeah, Black Blade, and Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford, yeah. Crawford was an other charted song. Yeah. Um, it might have just been on the, Yeah, might have just been on the video charts or something. But uh, I do remember a pretty dodgy video for it. But that's probably the only time in BOC history where they have two kind of songs from an album released one after the other, Burning and then Joan, that make an impression. Usually it's an impression followed by nothing. <laughs> so that's probably the first time they do it. So what do they do? They go to Donington and they break up. Ah, oh, BLC. Oh, no. Rick Downey's, yeah. Rick Downey's rubber Godzilla mask will stay with me till the grave. <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one, man. Go on, flick, do, flick through the next two albums quickly. I do, they, hope they we get talk, I do hope we get to talk to Albert about it, but I don't want to get bogged down in that hole controversy mm, um, no i don't th- i don't think he remembers much about it anyway <laughs> yeah take me away and shooting shark with the next uh, with the next two uh, yeah, from revelation yeah, yeah they'd have been better releasing veins but yeah take me away was an eye i actually bought that single i actually have that single at home i bought it at the time they couldn't um, release veins it was about drugs and it was the time of grange hills just say no yeah. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And then that's it again. Just too much environmental impact on a band. Uh, Take Me Away was a nice single. I mean, that's got single written all over it. But why you release Take Me Away as a single, but you don't release Black Blade as a single, you know? Ah. 
It's so frustrating. And then, and then the, the rot set in, the next two singles weren't written by anybody in Blue Eyes the Cult. What a world. Yeah. Where's the world coming yeah. from? Um, White Flags, Dancing in the Ruins. Now, Dancing in the Ruins was a bit of a hit for them. I, I still, to this day, haven't worked out why or how. Um, Roadhouse Blues actually charted. Going back to Roadhouse Blues, that actually charted at 24. Take Me Away wow. charted at 11. Uh, Shooting Shark started uh, charted at 16. That's in the main rock um, uh, chart. Yeah, I mean, they're doing okay. I mean, we always associate the 80s as a kind of plummeting time in BOC's career, but they were actually charting, making videos, you know, uh, you know, they were doing okay, but somehow it just, the wheels come off the wagon, you know? It's MTV, isn't it? Dancing in the Ruins charted, and Astronomy uh, from uh, Imaginos charted as well. But, uh, yeah, but- Astronomy Astronomy had a great video. I remember I was talking about this when Will McBride was, was doing the pod with us, and um, and um, uh, he hadn't seen that video for Astronomy, and it doesn't have the band, and it's the first non-cheesy video they make. It's just kind of you know, grainy footage, and it's, it suits the mood quite well. But um, the other videos, really dreadful video for Take Me Away. Oh, my God. White Flags Very written blue by or... the Leggett Brothers, and I thought, I don't know who the Leggett Brothers are, so I found out, and they were mm. in a Canadian prog band called Leggett, which I'm going to explore. We're doing it again, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we're back, we, we, we were attacked, I think we were attacked by government agents, were, we were hacked. We were definitely hacked. I think, I think they thought we were COVID deniers, or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We may have to. We may have to invest in the more than forty-minute Zoom option because I'm really impressed with the audio quality. It's a lot better than I remember. Can't remember where we were when we got cut off. Can you? And um, I was just talking about the video for astronomy. So we had pretty much made it to the end of the list. Like. Yeah, we uh, did. We talk about dancing in the ruins. I think so. Yeah, and the, the we never quite. Yeah, it was a skateboarding video or something. We had just mentioned that, and then we got cut off. So if we kick it in again, just talking about astronomy, I'd say you'll have an easy enough edit. Oh no, I'll I'll just sort of do a hard shoehorn edit. <laughs> I know it's more it's more our aesthetic, isn't it? <laughs> just hardcore edit. Just ram it in. Just jam it in there. Jam Just in. jam it in there. We'll we'll do a quick <laughs> jingle. Yeah. Hotter than Jim Griffin's leather shorts. This is the Bungo Pony Podcast. For all your blue oyster cult related needs. And then some. Nice to see you back in the shorts, Jim. Anyway, very, uh, very. Yeah, very it's, hot. it's hot over here. Yeah, it's hot over here, man. I forgot my talcum powder though, so I'm really squeaky. You're chafing. <laughs> oh, I've gone beyond chafing, man. Uh, the, the, the Germans only the Germans have a word for what I'm experiencing. All right, and what is that? Sorry, I've, I've, that's offensive on so many levels. <laughs> that is fat. Take that back. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> so yeah we, we we have actually by a circuitous route got back to the beginning because the final mm. single according to wikipedia anyway um but i'm I'm pretty mm. sure it was uh, was astronomy from imaginos and uh, we are as we said before we were cut off hoping to chat with albert at some point 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he's 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 he said he'll do it, but uh, he's busy at the moment putting the finishing touches to that mutant reformation. And I know he's gigging on the east coast somewhere. So we'll, yeah, yeah, we will yeah. need your corporate Zoom account for that one. Oh man, yeah. We're never going to let him leave. We're it's just going to talk to him. It's got to sound Six the best hours. we've ever done. I mean, I liked how J- the one we did with Joe sounded. Um, oh but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, if he's half as good as Joe, now we'll have a good part. Joe was great. But we've got so much to talk to Albert about. I have questions. I have questions. Um, <laughs> yes. And they mostly involve leather pants and knee-high socks. But um, yeah, yeah. Astronomy was the last sing- single I was aware of. Now, they did do... Um, I know, like, technically, they released kind of That Was Me, Box In My Head, and Tainted Blood. But I think they were more kind of, you know, nominal singles. I don't think there was ever, like, a, a seven-inch vinyl with, with That Was Me on it, you know. Well, as I say, I've just taken it from the uh, from the Wikipedia, yeah. and it might well be, but um, I think twenty odd uh, twenty odd tracks is enough for a playlist for anybody. Well, it is enough for this playlist because, as you say, it was. I completely agree. This is the first playlist we've we've talked about that I would kind of go. It's actually worth listening to because it drives home. I think what went wrong. If you know, you could say going wrong. What went wrong with the OC's kind of strategy throughout the seventies and eighties? It's just random, you know, and it's it's not a good playlist to listen to, but it's a very interesting playlist to 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 go through. Um, So again, you know, it's a very different. You know, I I feel we've been quite negative in this pod, but it's it's more from that kind of corporate viewpoint, which I think we all know didn't didn't serve BOC well. Oh no! For a for a band as talented as Blue Oyster Cult, that had a few yeah. more sort of cutting edge decisions being made, like Great Sun Jester being released. But yeah. as we said, who knows what could have happened uh, from a, a financial point of view? Anyway, uh, I would agree. I would agree, and don't forget that would have potentially played into a longevity thing, and and maybe we wouldn't have seen what happened in in eighty two happen in eighty two. So you know, there there is blame here to be assigned and it seems it seems popular these days to assign blame for things that happened 40 years ago so why not get in on the act and, and do a bit of that ourselves but um yeah I, I to me the greatest error was probably the management of singles from agents of fortune i i think from that that was a moment missed in time but but you despite, know, how do you fuck? yeah despite all that you've you've got a band that released the symbol remains recently which it's one of the yeah. finest albums of their career uh, and, and knocks everything else uh, released <laughs> by bands that have been going for 50 years into a cocked hat, as we say here in England. Yeah, I like it. I mean, and this is it. And look, it, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, I think it says a lot about the band. And we're, we've been talking a lot about, you know, corporations in this pod. The band go through that. They go through a slump in the 80s. They survive the 90s, which is a difficult time for any rock band. Um, and they come back swinging in the 2020s with, as you say, one of the best albums of their career. So as a bunch of guys, as a bunch of musicians, I think it highlights that although they weren't well served by by their paymasters, they were really dedicated and are dedicated to what they do. So it highlights that for me, that as a band, they never lost quality you know, they never lost their whatever personal visions I think they have for the band. So total credit to them for that. But this is this is one hell of a random playlist for Blue Oyster Cult. It is. It is. I'm conscious of the fact that you have uh, important work-related things to do. 
so vital. Um, I, I'm I'm needed. I'm needed in you surgery. Are a, you, are a, <laughs> you are a massive cog. I've heard said. Uh, I'm sure that's what they said. Anyway. I, 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 a massive. Yeah, yeah, you know, massive, I, yeah, a massive yeah, cog. I'm sure somebody said that about you. Yeah, that that's definitely what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we say goodbye to the ladies and gentlemen? Hope uh, goodbye. Hope goodbye, enjoyed, ladies and hope gentlemen. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Bungo Pony podcast. Check back uh, later if you've liked. Uh, what you've heard check us out on ko-fi bungo underscore pony buy us a coffee jim likes a foamy latte i do ta-ta everybody bye the bungo pony podcast has left the building join us next time for more jolly badinage